Welcome to Slacker Motor Radio with Brad and Addison. Based out of the Pacific Northwest, we're talking motorcycles in the motorcycle community, and we're excited to have this hour with you. Here we go. Welcome back, Slackers. Brad, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good. It's a beautiful day outside. Glad to be here with you. Looking forward to hear uh, how your uh, last week has been and uh, touch base, kind of see what's going on in the news and any topics that may, may come up. Yeah, been uh, been good. Got to st- spend some time with the family, went out camping, a little tent camping for five days. So about as much as everybody can take. But uh, it was good nonetheless. Got to have some some time together and small uh, small spaces, but with you know nightly campfires and good camp food and really just kind of enjoying the uh, the environment around us. So it was nice. That's awesome. What's the highlight of a camp food that you guys always do? Uh, so usually we do much simpler things. Uh, you know, whether it be. Um, you know, we're talking hot dogs or yep. s'mores or yes, yeah. basic things. But uh, we did some foil dinners on this trip. That was good. Oh, yeah. Yeah, those are good. Uh, did a chicken stir fry. Turned out really good. So oh, that's That sounds good. We kind of went all out on this trip, and I did a couple of pretty good uh, dinners that were, uh, I think, even more than half the group. We were the only ones camping. Everybody else got cabins for the trip, but I think there were a number of meals that, uh, that we made everybody jealous despite being the campers of the crew. So worked out pretty good. No, that is. And I know that uh, our, uh, podcast isn't about camping and the gourmet meals, uh, one can have, but you're going to have to fill me in a little bit more on this. I've definitely done some foil meals in the past, but mostly like steaks and chunks of, you know, chicken and such. But, uh, You'll have, to, you'll have to tell me about it sometime, at least. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll definitely talk about it in our follow-up podcast, Camping and the Meals That We Eat. Yes, I think that we could have a few of them. I'm sure we'd have a great <laughs> turnout. <laughs> we'll have a, yeah, a five-podcast uh, spread on that. We'll see. <laughs> um, did you see any motorcycles while you were out there camping? We did. Uh, so we were out in Joseph, Oregon, out near Wallawa Lake. And uh, yeah, I'm, I, that's just kind of an interesting point that there's definitely a, an increase of, of bikes on the road, at least perceptively. And it could just be that there's less cars. So it seems like there's more. But uh, I know that's kind of our topic this week is the increase in, in riders and the increase in popularity of motorcycles um, kind of as kicked off by I know there was a study in Europe that we talked about last week a little bit. Uh, talking about that increase in popularity, but it really felt like, you know, every time I went into town, every time I drove through, there was uh, at least one, if not two, three groups of motorcycles hanging out in Joseph. And maybe that's normal for Joseph, but in years past, it didn't seem like it. We wouldn't see that many bikes in town. So there's definitely a perceptive or a perceived um, increase in, in motorcycles on the road. Uh, even going down the highway, you see a lot of groups go by. And I feel like when we'd go on these family trips every year, that wasn't necessarily always the case. Right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely a lot more bikes on the road recently. But, I mean, right now in the Pacific Northwest, it's uh, at least near Portland, I should say, it's uh, beautiful outside. No clouds in the sky that at least I can see. It's nice and 
not too hot, relatively cool. If you had a motorcycle right now, it would be phenomenal to be on the road. Of course, I know we took a little bit of break from work to do this podcast, but uh, if we weren't doing this, I think that we'd be potentially out there on the road, at least you, I would assume. So, And uh, for those that are joining us after reading the Cool People News article, welcome. Stick it out. We're always this horrible. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I know that we may have that that CPN bump um, <laughs> that we get that we may get here, but uh, yep, it's just as ridiculous every week. Yeah. Except we used to have a lot more people on. That tends to be for some reason harder with COVID to get people in the room with us. Yeah, I think it's just the way I look. But uh, don't tell me if that's true, please. We keep telling Brad to bathe at some point since working from home, but one of these days he'll listen. I'm on a five five year you know turnaround. I, I think that's pretty good, right? That's yeah, not too bad. Yeah, makes it easy when I'm on a motorcycle. I don't you know don't have to be picky. Worse than most, better than a few. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's man. That's a that's a big claim. That's awesome. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> Nonetheless, what do you think? Uh, so there's been a number of studies showing an increase in, in ridership, an increase in popularity in sales, uh, specifically in used bikes. And that, that makes sense to me that there'd be an increase in sales and used. But you had mentioned it kind of before we got into the podcast that, uh, you know, Harley stock's gone up. So, it, you know, it, the industry is showing both new and used. We're seeing bike sales going up probably more than expected if not better than uh, than previous years, even with our current circumstances. Mm-hmm. Well, and what are your thoughts on that? Going to just follow alone, because I think that you could have a lot of uh, corporate investors that just don't want to see it go away because they enjoy riding their Harley. It's their reprieve from being the businessman and very structured person that most people see them as. So they kind of get out and they're lost in their world. So. I mean, I, I just don't see people letting the Harley or hog stock just go by the wayside. So, but, but if you look, you know, throughout, and I mean, I checked, you know, Yamaha and Kawasaki and BMW real quick. BMW is a little tough because it's also cars, but everything's kind of up on the rise right now and things continue to recover. Whether or not they're actually getting more sales or not, I think people are uh, kind of jumping in on uh, investments and trying to take advantage of the stock prices being just a little bit lower, knowing that at some point things are going to increase. But that aside, we definitely have uh, motorcycle sales going on. I mean, you, you look through your typical ads, whether it be Marketplace or Craigslist or Offer Up, whatever it may be, and uh, you know. A lot of the bikes that are reasonably priced aren't sticking around long, you know. You've got a few that hang out there, but uh, they're all gone. And a lot of the project-worthy bikes, those ones are gone real fast from what I've been seeing. I don't know if you've noticed that, Addison, but, I mean, none that I would want to jump on. But usually you can go through there and you're like, there's, you know, half a dozen at least on each one of the platforms that are, you know, $300 or so that you could get into. And those just aren't sticking around. So people are buying. I think people are getting out and riding a little bit more. You know, it was a little bit wet in the Pacific Northwest, uh, a little longer than we would typically see. But I think that as things have started to kind of calm down, kind of dry out a little bit, people, you know, finally fed up with sticking around at home. And, you know, you can't go anywhere without wearing a mask now, except for on your motorcycle. And you just put your helmet on, you go and you do your own thing. 
right? So I think people are finally starting to take the time and going, even though we can't do things together, there are things that I can do on my own. So I uh, definitely welcome um, uh, the changes and people going out and buying bikes. I think things are starting to slowly come back as businesses are open up. That's for sure. Well, that's kind of anecdotally, you know, we, we spent, like we mentioned earlier, spent a good five days out there in Joseph, Oregon. And, you know, there's a number of little, little, uh, you know, small businesses and, and events and, and things that are, you know, more tourist based uh, with regards to the economy. And I think there was a, a high gratitude for those of us that were willing to go out and and participate and, and, you know, pay for these things, because I think there was a big concern there similar to what you're talking about that, you know, it's good that we're starting to go out and spend a little bit of the money and, and refeed the economy a little bit so that we're not all kind of sitting at home and, and hoarding our piles so that, you know, these small businesses and these groups that kind of live month to month or, or maybe even tighter than that in their business can still, uh, can still survive. Yeah, definitely seasonal. But I went on my, uh, my vacation to, to the coast. I did see a lot of like mixed responses and feelings from some of the associates. I mean, you know me, and I'm sure you were doing the same thing. You get to the point where you're chatting with somebody, and they probably have enough people come through that are locals that they just don't keep track of them. So after a couple minutes of just checking out, they think that you're a local, and they're talking to you as if you're a local. And you could tell that there, there was a, there's a little bit of hesitation with that. And, and I think that's just mixed around. You know, they're having all these extra people come in and they don't want to have additional uh, uh, cases uh, come from that. But, I'll, I'll, you know, whether they, you know, the, the employees are wanting it, uh, the owners are needing it. This is definitely something that uh, they can't get through without, and they can't support their own families or their employees without people coming in and making purchases. So that's one thing that's awesome about a motorcycle is that you go out in the middle of nowhere and you stop into these smaller establishments, smaller, maybe not ghost towns, but um, just places that aren't really tourist, you know, attractions, but that usually are getting people driving through and stopping on the way that I don't think that's happening as much. So I think people are maybe just trying to get to their destination. And as we all know, uh, the motorcycle is about the trip to the destination, even more so maybe than the location that you end up. I wholeheartedly agree. And I think that, you know, that feeling is, uh, is, I don't know if it's a dying feeling, but it's definitely not what it once was. If you look at Americana, you know, that was kind of the, the history of America is based on those road trips and, and stopping in these small towns. I mean, that's the whole route 66, right? There's really no big towns or big stops on there. It's all little towns that lived, you know, from gas stop to gas stop basically. So, you know, I agree with you. I think it's interesting to see as, you know, as I road trip or as I drive through different areas, I see a lot more motorcycles than I think I used to, and I, I agree. I think those economies are are excited for it. Those little towns are are more than happy to have a few people come through and buy gas and buy food and and buy the few things that are are being purchased to help uh, help spark it. So I'm glad to see this boost in in used sales. I mean, we've seen those statistics at least in Europe to show that the uh, the search results as well as the volume of sold used bikes. Are, uh, are increasing over the last few months. Um, you know, again, we kind of talked about that last week, that that makes a lot of sense in the European market because in Europe it would be very easy for a scooter or a small displacement bike to be your only means of, of, of uh, transport. 
In the U.S., I think we rely a little more on longer trips and things like that to where most people feel they need a, a full-fledged vehicle. However, I'm seeing a lot more uh, a lot more bike sales, you know. Uh, it may be that there's less bikes for sale because people are hanging on to them longer, given the circumstances of, of where we're at. But yeah, to your point, if you look at Craigslist or OfferUp or Facebook or KSL or any of these sites throughout your state that, that sell used vehicles, it seems to be pretty slim pickings on what's available or at least what's available at a good price. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, the, you know, we talk about Europe, but even Cycle World is talking about in the U.S. and how the motorcycle sales have been very robust and have been up. Uh, quite significantly. I mean, they're talking about just off-road motorcycles being up 18.9% year-to-date through March 2020. So, I mean, things are still um, taking place and people are making purchases. So, it's pretty pretty awesome. So, how do you see the uh, the industry coming out of this? Uh, you know, let's continue to call it a pandemic, I guess. How do we see the, the change from here? Are we going to see a different kind of motorcycle on the market? Are we see more used bikes? Are we going to see... Once this is all over, is everybody going to jump back into buying the new bikes once things return? What do you think we're going to see from this? I think that uh, things aren't really going to change a whole lot soon. I think that you're going to have what we're seeing right now for a little while, uh, even if the sales are steady. There's too much risk associated with potentially releasing a new motorcycle. Although we do see that there are corporations that have the plans to put them out and they may still follow through with them because they have to start bringing in revenue. So I think anything that Harley had in the works that they're still planning on releasing, uh, given all of the changes that we've discussed in previous podcasts, I think those are still going to hit the market. But anything kind of new, anything that's really low demand, maybe a lot of these EVs that we were seeing I don't think that we're going to see a lot of those just jump into the market. I don't think that that really makes sense. Although I could be wrong, you know, Lightning's working on a fully enclosed motorcycle. Do I foresee that being in the market anytime soon? No, I, I don't either. So, uh, but I do foresee the, the sales continuing and then we're going to hit fall and it's going to all kind of drop off a little bit in the States that get their uh, winter weather. And then next year is going to be a whole new, whole new story. Regardless of what's going on, we're going to have things in place that are going to allow people to continue moving forward because you can't just shut down the entire economy. It just doesn't work that way. I still need to eat. You need to eat. And our listeners need to eat. So uh, we can't we can't just go to that extent. No, I agree with you. And I, I think the one thing I've seen is a lot of the news with regard to new releases and updates and, and bike changes and all these things seem to really relate around the the mid and small displacement bikes. So I think those the development work and the design work and test work and everything to get those released and out is still happening because I think there's a, at least a, a plan moving into the uh, into the updated market or whatever we call it when we start coming back full speed, uh, you know, for lower cost bikes. I think that you, know, you look at the the Tenere 700, you look at some of these smaller bikes are having updates. KTM's doing some work on their smaller 390s and other small bikes. And, you know, I, I think those are going to be maybe a little more refined to be a higher class small bike. Yeah, you know what? I didn't think of this. Uh, you you kind of reminded me, and I, and I don't know if this is what you're getting at, but I think the biggest thing that might come out of this is, you know, we're used to everybody commuting into work. Right now, people aren't having to commute into work. A lot of people carpool. 
And so that's a way to make having a vehicle more econ you know, economical is that you then trade off between a few different employees or three different of your colleagues and you all ride in. Well, if we're trying to social distance and we're going into work and we're truly trying to follow CDC guidelines or whatever the government or local agencies are stating for us, that's not going to really work out well. And so I anticipate that you could maybe even see some increase in the small displacement motorcycles purely just for commuting. Because it's you get into it relatively cheap, you're just riding it to work, and you're going home. And that's all you need to do. You don't need to do anything else. You've got another vehicle for going to the grocery stores. And it, the return on investment is pretty quick. If you start doing that regularly, let's say over a one year span or nine months out of the year. I think you're right. I, you know, similar to, I guess, that increase we're seeing in the European market, some of those trends may, may come across the seas and, and hit here a little bit more where, you know, the, the tool use of a motorcycle may become more apparent. You know, and I, I see a lot of people getting their endorsement, a lot of people starting to want to commute to work for those that are still going. And I think the, a decrease in, in cars on the road make the roads safer. Uh, and I would agree with that argument that obviously if there's less cars being distracted or less cars commuting to work, that you are statistically safer in your commute because there's less people that could hit you. Um, you still got to be just as aware and just as vigilant, but uh, it does make for a much better ride when it's not so congested. So, uh, you know, I could see that being much more the case that a lot of people are are going to use their bike as a tool, not not as much as just a weekend recreational vehicle, but as something to commute to work more. As traffic has gotten less, more people are willing to, to ride. You don't sit at a stoplight or at a, you know, that traffic to get off, off into the next freeway section quite as long uh, in the heat of the summer like we would in previous years, which makes that uh, a significantly more enjoyable experience going into work. So as people start going back, I imagine people that typically wouldn't commute may start doing so just because the fun in the commute has come back. Yeah, I think it's just trying to make things reasonable. What can you do that's in, you know, to enjoy actually having to go back to work? I, the, the whole industry is going to be mixed up in general. I mean, we don't know what's really going to happen with our establishment, but from what I've heard, they're really reviewing, you know, as we anticipated, the opportunity of do we actually need to have everybody coming into work or could some people be working from home because we've been just as productive as we were in the past. And in some cases, morale has increased, you know, with people not having to travel in to work. So, yeah, but that's not going to be the case for every corporation. So a lot of places you have to go in, you have to be there to provide that customer service for the people coming in. Um, so well, what's that? It, it's hard to run a machine shop with nobody at the machine. So yeah, there are you know many industries that require somebody to physically be there in order to, to produce whatever you're doing or whatever your service or good is. You have to have someone on site or everyone on site in certain cases. Yeah, you have to at least set up the machine. After you do that, then they, I mean, they should be there to monitor. But for the most part, it's all being run by a CNC computer. But I get, I get what you're saying. Yes, absolutely. So, yeah, I, I agree with you that a lot of people will go back to work a lot. You know, the, the congestion will come back up. But I do question how bad it'll be. Uh, to your point, I think there's a lot of, a lot of companies, a lot of industries that are learning from this and have already, because of this, out of necessity, become more remote work friendly already 
and will continue some of those practices into the future, probably just for cost savings too. your infrastructure size, your parking lots, your maintenance, your cleaning, all of those costs go down as you have people working from home. Yeah. Do I need to have a lease on a building? Everybody's working from home right now and they're doing just fine. Why am I paying an extra, you know, $2,000 a month plus everything else to keep that residence open where I don't have to pay for you as an employer's home insurance and everything else that's needed for you to work at home. I just make sure you have the equipment that you need, which I'm already going to be providing you, whether you're at the office or at your residence. I'll say this. I've, I've tended to be more of the, uh, the both commute and recreation motorcycle rider. But at this point, if, if, if a survey came up, I'd probably only check the recreation box because I don't, you know, I'm not commuting to work. I really am only using my bike to have fun and go on rides, which has also cut down on maintenance and some of the like, some of the, the, the bad parts of riding. There are some, and I'll admit it as a rider that, you know, sometimes when you're in the middle of the hot season or the good season and you got to break down and do a full, you know, 10,000 mile maintenance or whatever you're at, that sucks. But because I'm only putting on fun miles, I'm not just racking up miles commuting to work and not having to do that. And that's really nice that, that really I'm only getting fun for my work in the bike. I'm not having, you know, I'm not, none of the work or none of the tool use is really coming out of that. And there's a huge, uh, I don't huge positive in that. I get just having a bike, you know, in the garage just for fun times because it is so much easier to keep up and, and do all the things that need to be done. However, I like to ride all the time. Since I'm not commuting, I get the best of both worlds. <laughs> yeah, but initially, and this is, this is a double-edged sword, right? Because a lot of people, they buy a bike and justify it by saying, I will also use it for commuting, even if it's not my sole mode of transportation. So you kind of lose that. So now you're having to make a purchase knowing I'm not going to commute with this. I'm going to very rarely. So it's solely going to be in the garage. And now I have to take it out on the weekends to be able to get that time. And so I, I think it's just a mix up on you know what, uh, what people can and can't do with their bikes and to, to make the justification. But it does throw, throw, a, throw a new crayon in the box. Yeah, and it depends what you define a commute, right? You still got to go to the dentist or you still got to go do this, that, or the other thing. Now, if you're going to the grocery store, unless you have a Pacific Coast, you're probably not coming back with much on your, uh, for example, the street triple. I can't bring much more than a bag or two. Yeah, that's but, uh, you know, before, though. You've been putting that rack on the back. I can't wait for the hard bags. <laughs> but, you know, if, if you're just needing to go run a quick errand or do certain things, there is a certain economy to having the bike rather than a car. So, the, you know, the benefits are still there, but you're right. They're very different. Commuting to work is a daily constant that you can save on gas. However, you know, we can get deeper into this on another episode just because of the time it would take, but it's debatable whether it is truly economic to commute on a bike. Yeah, no, I can understand that. Uh, definitely something debatable, but uh, at the same time, there's a lot of benefits. There's a lot of benefits, especially in a large city and the the lanes that you can use and in some states, lane splitting. And so, uh, yeah, definitely something that we could talk about for an extended period of time. That's definitely fair. And, uh, well, in, in, in the cities, I think there's a huge benefit to having, especially those small displacement, super low cost of maintenance, low cost of ownership bikes that, uh, you know, or an electric bike for that matter. When you're not going far because uh yeah you get a lot of benefits to having that and being able to lane split and 
and use the environment around you to your advantage. Parking, you know, there's, there's, we can get into those benefits as well if we're talking uh, commuting in the city, but there, there would be no reason if we, if I live downtown, there would be no reason not to have a motorcycle, quite frankly. Coming soon, commuting do's and don'ts. Stay tuned. There you go. Next week, we'll get into it. I think it's a good topic to, to talk about because, I, you know, specifically the, the conversation of is it economically viable or better to be commuting to work on a motorcycle? Um, and that gets deeper. I, I've had conversations with people whether it's worth even owning a vehicle because of where they live and how close they are to work and so on and so forth. So, you know, we can get deep into that subject pretty quickly. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. All right. So turning the page a little bit, I got something that came up recently and, and I don't know, I'm speculating, but a potential opportunity to get an FZ1. So there's a guy looking at getting rid of his FZ1. It's got 25,000 miles on it. It's pretty good shape. And the only reason why I say it's an opportunity is that he's looking for an old pickup. And I've got this 49 GMC sitting here. And as much as I, I love the idea of working on this truck, it has crossed my mind to offer that as a trade for his FZ1. What, what do you think of that? I, you know, I'm a fan of the FZ1. So there's about three bikes that were floating in my list of, of very practical, smart motorcycle tool choices. FZ1, I like the VFR 800, the previous uh, pre-VTEC versions. Right. And I like uh, the the XSR 900. Um, and now when we're talking lower cost, really the only two that fit that were the VFR and the FZ1 due to just age, right? The XSR 900 is just a little too new uh, sure. to have any low-cost examples available. So I think that's a great bike. Uh, it really comes down to, you know, even at 30,000 miles, those things go forever often. Uh, if it's well-maintained, then 30,000 is nothing on a bike like that. Right. However, you know, an older pickup is worth something as well. So it may not be necessarily a straight trade, but that's something for you to work out on what you've got. I don't know. I have not seen your old pickup. I don't know the value of that and what you've got there, but, you know, it may be something where even you can come out on top of that deal and, you know, have an FZ1 ready to go. So I, I am not opposed to that bike. That was one I was looking at. If I wasn't able to get the street triple at the deal I did, um, that was on the list because it, it really checks all the exact same boxes. Um, in fact, possibly a better box for reliability just because of its, you know, its history. However, I'll say the street triple has a long history now of good reliability, so I'm not too concerned. Um, but it's a it's a good bike. I I don't think you'd be able to, you know, you wouldn't go wrong with it. You'd be able to do anything and everything you want, long trips, short trips, commutes, get into trouble at the track, you know, everything you want to do. Yeah, no, I, and I understand. I, we've talked a little bit about the FC1, obviously, for the reasons you mentioned. It was on your list, and I've looked at them, and uh, Price-wise, they're, they're very reasonable for what you're getting. I'd say that the mileage is a little higher than I would have liked, but... Uh, you know, if it has been ridden regularly and isn't going to need a full tune-up, that's the problem with those is it's carbureted. And so it's not like a simple uh, just change the plugs and check your, your typical stuff. Uh, you have to synchronize and everything else. And not that that's the end of the world, but things that I need to consider. There's a lot of benefits. I mean, I love the truck. I've got a lot of great parts when I have the time for it. I can put it all together and have something that would be really fun to take out. 
but it's really only going to be me and my wife. It's not like a whole family vehicle and we've other, I've got, I've got more trucks than I need at this point. And I'd have a space that I could then uh, use in my uh, carport for other things. So I don't know, it came up. This just happened last night. So you're getting breaking news, everyone, that uh, I had heard <laughs> of such a thing as this. But uh, it's definitely not something that I've SMR exclusive. Yes. Not something that I've actually started negotiating on, but it crossed my mind. It's appealing. I'm like, I could have a bike and I have one less project. There's, uh, you know, that's kind of nice to be able to go. But usually when I buy something and I say it's not going to be a project like this uh, Jeep pickup that I'm leaning up against right now, uh, something happens and then it then becomes another project that's in the lineup of other vehicles and yard tools and everything else that needs some love. So... That's my only hesitation is I really don't want another thing that I need to keep maintaining or doing something more than regular maintenance on. That's fair. I mean, there is, you know, one more vehicle is always a bit more work, another car to register, so on and so forth. Everything, you know, to ensure everything has a price. It's not free to own a vehicle, kind of probably (laughs) leading well into our conversation for next week. But, uh, you know, at the same point, you're, you know, I don't know, struggling is the right word, but it's difficult to find the means and, and time and everything to get the uh, to get your KLR back up, and this would kind of put you right on the saddle without any hop, skip, or jump missed. Yeah, so, that help me get the KLR going either, though. But at least it's something I'm not having to spend any money other than you know, there's a little bit associated, like you said, getting a registered and insured, but just being able to jump on something and take advantage of the weather because. You know, that and the bike's just sitting, and that's just sad. It's sitting in his garage. He's I agree. You know, and I mean, come on. Needs some love. Needs needs Brad. Well, and if you, you know, depending on what you've got for trade, if you come out on top on that, then, you know, it gives you a little bit something, something to work on that KLR as well. Yeah. Now, the rig I've got is definitely in the work. Somebody else has started working on it and tore it apart. And so it, I've got all the pieces for it, but it's not a complete truck. If it was a complete truck in decent shape, then then the trade wouldn't be feasible. But uh, I think it, it, it's pretty comparable for what the value, I think, of the FC is. So I don't know. We'll see. I'll keep you guys posted. Yeah, I'm curious to see him. We'll uh, we'll go for a ride the day you get it, man. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's very optimistic of you. Thank you. Why? Oh, the day I get it. That's all, that's all I'm saying. That's all I'm, saying. I'm just right. talking. I'm brainstorming with you. Thinking out loud. I'm excited. Let's go Saturday. All right. Uh, Although I did find another guy that would be an awesome addition for rides when we get going. So uh, a gentleman named Chris that owns a shop out in Welch's. So when we get going, we'll have to include him in it. He's got a little uh, Repsol 600. He's relatively new, but uh, takes it easy. So he's just wanting to enjoy riding. Well, there you go. Sounds good, man. Well, we'll uh, we'll leave it at that for this week as we've kind of lined up. We don't want to get too deep into next week's conversation, but appreciate everybody joining along. Uh, again, if you're new to the podcast, welcome. Uh, catch us each week. We tend to, to change up our subject a bit, but uh, also shoot us an email. Uh, you can find all that contact information at slackermoto.com uh, or just hit us up on Facebook if you want to join us uh, with kind of this, it's not Zoom, but a Zoom-based issue. Uh, type of program 
we can always have you on and, and join us for chat uh, as well for each uh, each episode. So if you've got a topic you want to talk about on the air, let's get it going. Otherwise, uh, thank you for everybody that's uh, that's followed, joined us, and uh, given us their their input. And uh, we will talk at you guys next week. Make sure you guys uh, make some time to ride, get on two wheels, and, and get that moto therapy. Until next time, ride on. Mm-hmm.